This is episode 12 with five-time Olympian and gold medalist, Natalie Cook. Welcome back to Talking with TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell. Episode 12 today features another five-time Olympian in Natalie Cook. If you haven't heard of Natalie, I'm not sure where you've been hiding, but she's a gold medalist from the Sydney Olympic Games as well as a bronze medalist at the Atlanta Games. Like I did mention before, five-time Olympian in beach volleyball and one of the most recognizable faces here in Australia. So I'm very excited to get Natalie Cook. She brings great perspective. She's had a great transition into post-athletic life as well. So I'm really, really just looking forward to picking her brain on different aspects about that transition, but also really with just getting some different ideas on some of the motivational things that she does today. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the show via iTunes or Stitcher, or if you've got an Android, easiest way is to log onto the website, www.talkingwithtk.com. Please share it with your family and friends. Tag me on social media. I'm at Tristan Cannell or Tristan Cannell Fitness across Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Or if you have any guest requests, please send them through Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com. Now, without further ado, I introduce my special guest, Natalie Cook. All right, my special guest is Natalie Cook. Natalie is a great of the Australian sport with a record-breaking five Olympic appearances, which included a gold medal at Sydney 2000 and a bronze at the Atlanta 1996 Games. See, she is a distinguished motivational speaker, entrepreneur, and I'm honoured to have her on the show. I welcome Natalie Cook. Natalie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. What a great project you're doing. Thank you so much, Natalie, for coming on the show. What I really want to touch on first is... You know, you reached the top, you know, obviously gold at Sydney, bronze in, in Atlanta as well, but your transition away and now in your motivational speaking is quite impressive. Can you touch just a little bit on your transition away from sport? Yeah, well, it's interesting. We started in a sport that is not one of, wasn't one of the high-profile sports at the time. I would like to think that now we've put beach volleyball on the map, but when I first started, you know, over 25 years ago now, it, when we won a volleyball tournament, beach volleyball tournament, we would get a water bottle and a hat, right? So it wasn't something that you would want to you know, put your career into. My mum and dad actually said, make sure you finish your uni degree before you go start playing beach volleyball, which, of course, I didn't do. I didn't finish it. I got halfway <laughs> through a, phys- a physiotherapy degree before I decided I wanted to be an Olympian. And when you decide to be an Olympian, you do- it didn't enter my head that I was going to go five times. You know, just once what was was sort of the goal. Um, then we win a bronze medal, and it's like you're so close, and you can taste it and feel it and smell it. And, and of course, Sydney 2000, where it's all at home, we had to continue on. So Kerry and I go there, and, and of course, it's a fairy tale come true, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. But we win. 
And again, though, we're still we're putting beach volleyball on the map, so it's still a new sport, which uh, which means I have to be thinking of other pathways and other financial security for for future and family. So yeah. uh, um, I always had in the back of my mind that um, that I needed a a career pathway, I needed a, a, a plan B, which didn't mean that I attacked plan A any less. I just had um, a backup. So I started a beach volleyball business, mm-hmm. a, a beach volleyball sports centre called Sandstorm. And that, um, after we won in 2000, of course, people start to listen to you. So the government in Queensland built me the facility and I, I had a lease on that. And I thought that was going to be my business, that it'd make me lots of money and allow me to retire. And, of course, anyone listening that's, that's got a business or been in business, we know how challenging it is and it, it didn't quite lead that way. So I have an entrepreneurial spirit and I had many things going at once whilst I continued to play another three Olympics. Um, and so the transition for me out of my fifth Olympics of 20 years at the elite sport was, was I don't want to say easy because I don't want to dismiss it as easy. It was well set up. It was well thought out. Yep. And therefore, it was um, my new favourite word is frictionless. So okay. it it just sort of I just slid into it, and um, yeah, very happy with where things are at. Yeah, Nat, did you have any mentoring on the business side of things? I did. I obviously had when Kerry and I were our most successful, our biggest team. We had a volleyball coach, a strength and conditioning coach, and a success coach for the mindset. And he really, Kirik Ashley was his name. He really set me up not only for on the volleyball court, but the mindset of success off the court, which you could say was business, but not just business, like life in general and positivity and and how to overcome hurdles and how to hold a good posture. And so him as a mentor, I would say he has been a mentor of life, which enables the business to have a nice, my business brain and life to have a good foundation. And then I've had a few business mentors along the way. One of them was a sponsor of mine, Peter Drake, and he, you know, very in hedge hedged funds and managed funds, so he took money all the time. And then I had a, a business coach. He was in a niche of business coaching for accountants, and he would sit with me once a month for coffee and have breakfast and sort of talk me through everything. And, and so I had counsel, I guess. It wasn't a formal uh, mentorship in place, but I definitely had my tribal council that enabled me to uh, bounce ideas off and move forward confidently. Yeah, you've got quite a bit going on because you mentioned Sandstone. You've also got the Live Out Loud Foundation, correct? And then there's also another business, correct? Yeah, well, Entrepreneur. like I said, entrepreneurial spirit, and most entrepreneurs have many things going. You know, I've got 10 fingers that have to go into 10 different <laughs> pies. <laughs> so... Yeah, what I and I have had ten different pies, and I'm now trying to, as you, as I get older, simplify it down into my life to have a, you know, a three maximum streams of focus because, you know, the distracted mind doesn't really help anyone, and I often feel like I wear five different hats in yeah. any one conversation. So if I, you know, I'm a motivational speaker. I also run a health and nutrition business to get people fit and healthy or keep them fit and healthy weight management and, and sleep and energy and all those things. And then I run the Queensland Olympic Council here in, in Queensland for John Coates as the head of the Australian Olympic Committee. And I'm putting beach volleyball into surf clubs um, to give our grassroots kids an opportunity to play beach volleyball. 
and that's called Surf Volley. And then my charity, of course, as you touched on, is to tackle childhood obesity. And, and that is a real topical conversation right now. And um, I was born in Townsville, and the Townsville paper on the weekend said it's a fat shame and that Townsville are claiming the number one spot as the most obese city. So I, I just I get so yeah. fired up and so passionate about um, childhood obesity isn't a kid problem, it's an adult problem, and I want to shake people. So, yes, I've got lots going on, and at any one time um, I can be talking to people about one or all at once. Now, it's actually interesting you brought up childhood obesity. I was speaking to a gentleman over in America, and he's in a foundation called Stand Up Kids. So he's they've been doing some experiments overseas with his because I think his daughter was in grade three, and they were giving him stand up desks, and they did an experiment across well versus the kids that didn't have stand up desks, and the kids with stand up desks actually lost a dramatic amount of weight compared to the others. So I was just going to touch on maybe some of the things with your Live Out Foundation in terms of childhood obesity. What are some of the strategies you guys are using to try and combat the problem? Well, for those that know me, if you've seen any of my, my stuff, I'm a superhero fan. And if you don't it. know me, then I've just outed myself. Uh, um, I'm even in my office right now looking at all things superhero that inspire me. And I, and I use that as kind of an alter ego that whenever I'm, whenever Natalie Cook is having a bad day or a bad moment or a bad week, I, have, I literally have my Superman cape that I, can, I put on and I feel different when yeah, I nice. put it on. When I see the Superman symbol, it reminds me to have my shoulders back and head up and kind of tackle, become strong and confident and tackle things. So I, I use the superhero a lot. So in saying that, um, the number one thing we use in, in Live Out Loud Foundation is a superhero called Captain Active. And he is our, he's our leading force in tackling childhood obesity. And, and what we do is we send him into schools primary schools all over Australia to talk about movement. Yep. We don't really call, you know, where the exercise is a bit intense. So move your body. And even like you just said, stand-up desks, way better because you'll sway and move and lunge and squat and stand <laughs> up. So we, we talk about movement. We talk about healthy food choices. So Captain Active, of course, has a fruit and veggie rocket. And so, you know, we get to talk fruit and veg and healthy food choices. And then the third part of it is self-esteem. And, and hence, I, you know, the superhero for me comes back in as self-esteem through posture, through positive mind set, you know, all the good superheroes are out there to do good things in the world. And so between movement, healthy food choices and self-esteem, I think it's the beginning, and like I said, childhood obesity isn't a kid problem, it's an adult problem, so the adults need to lighten up a little bit and become a superhero and, and lead by example and help our, our kids out because, you know, I'm hearing some scary stats like one in two. That, that's, that, that just blows my mind. I just fumble and froth at that too. Like one in two kids by 2025 will be overweight. It's not not okay, right? So don't get me started, Tristan. I'm just so fired up, right? (laughs) No, it's it's interesting. It's uh, quite admirable that you're actually tackling the problem, definitely. Well, and I feel, you know, again, many people that that have a passion to make a difference in the world 
there are days when I stand there and think, can I really make a difference? You know, doubt creeps in and, and, and fear and overwhelm. And I go, really? Am I really making a difference? And then I'll have um, a kid or a parent of kids say, oh, my God, Captain Active came into our school and my kid's asking me to go for a bike ride and asking me to go for a run. And so when you get those responses, it, it makes you think that even one child's life or one family's life is worth all the hard work. So yeah. it's, it's a passion. Is that how you kind of go into your motivational speaking as well in terms of I've heard that before and it's something that I kind of do as well. If I can get the message through to just one person, I think it's worthwhile. Yeah, because otherwise otherwise we, we, we start to judge our performances and we start to judge our results and it really is one life at a time and the ripple effect of what that has. And I've seen in the past that if, we, if I can influence one person, then that person goes into the world and influences others. So, yeah, I, I wrote a book too after the Olympic gold medal that um, is called Go, Go Girl, Girl and yeah. it's... Yeah, and it's about turning bronze into gold. And the whole purpose behind that book was if I can get one teenage girl, and the boys can read it, don't think it's just for girls, but if I could get a teenage girl to shift their mindset or be inspired to go on to greatness, I mean, obviously it might be in sport, but greatness in whatever field, then it's been a huge, huge success. So one at a time is always... We do that in volleyball too, like it's one ball and you've got one point at a time, so focus on on doing the best with that one yep. and uh, you put your points together. If you put people's lives together, then you can have a dif- massive difference across lots of people. Yeah, now you actually mentioned going from 1996, the bronze medal, into Sydney gold 2000. What was the major changes that you did to, obviously going from bronze to gold is a huge step? Mm, we... We, we actually sat down and tried to build, both Kerry and I went, we can do this, right? So that's the first thing, you've got to have this inkling of belief. And if you don't have the, it wasn't full belief, but it was an inkling that we then cultivated and developed our belief over time. And we had our coach, Steve, who we had for Atlanta, and we sort of said, okay, you know, we've got to get a few more people in the team. So um, not just physical team members like our strength and conditioning coach Phil and, and our success coach Keurig, but the support team. We had to find more sponsors and supporters. We had to find a good medical team. We had to build this um, group around us that were going to kind of put positive energy into everything we did. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if there's days where we have bad days and they're there to lift us up and, and that's why it's important to have a support crew. So that was that started it, and from there, when you've got more like-minded minds or more minds that are focused on the goal, you you just get a deeper, richer um, paper mache of, of what could could go on. So we strengthened our bonds. We we came up with our purpose. We did a three-day workshop to kind of understand why we're putting all of our blood, sweat, and tears into this, and why a gold medal is important, and why we you know, why we miss friends' birthdays and why we miss friends' weddings and why we go to sleep early at night and just really understand our purpose. And once we got through all that, there was, like, nothing stopping us. Whenever something went wrong, because that is inevitably going to happen, it's just like a little little tiny hurdle and 
You make out like Sally Pearson, jump over that, get on with the next one, right? Yeah, definitely. You mentioned Kerry's name. Obviously, you guys are one of the greatest combinations in the history of the sport. What I was going to ask you is, did you guys become better friends once you didn't have to worry about sport anymore? Uh, Hey, that is a great question, and the answer is absolutely yes. I mean, when you're in a pressure cooker environment and – you're, you're trying to get your own best performance and Kerry's trying to do hers and then together we're trying to do it. So we're trying to help each other kind of lift each other up. Um, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of heated moments. There's a lot of things that have been said that you wish you could unsay. Yeah, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, yeah, and even silent moments. You know when you give people that look like, <laughs> why did you hit that ball out? <laughs> right? You don't even have to say it. It's just like, you know, so... Um, all of that was going on. It was a lot of pressure. Kerry's 10 years older than, than I am. And so, you know, she had a different outlook. I was sort of the young gun at, you know, bull at a gate. And she was more, you know, more measured in her response. Um, and so, you know, as I matured and as I came out of my career 12 years after she, um, the Sydney Games, you know, we could both kind of look each other in the eye and, and reflect on the amazing achievements we'd done and respect each other not that we didn't at the time but there was a newfound level of respect for what we had been through and now we we work our health nutrition business together and we our whole passion is to get people healthy and and moving and and get their body working again um and we do that together so we are so good we we are now helping others rather than trying to crush others with the volleyball so yeah, our, our relationship is awesome. Nat, I interviewed Lane Beachley a couple of months ago, and she was just telling me about when she won six consecutive titles, what she told me, she pretty much didn't celebrate any of them. So my question for you is, because you had kind of back-to-back success in the Olympics, did you take some time to actually reflect and really celebrate your achievements? Yeah, we... I'm a big celebrator and I'm a big proponent of recovery. So they both sort of, to me, go hand in hand. And and the reason I squeezed five Olympics out was because I planned my recovery first. So every week, you know, most people go into the week with the stuff they've got to get done or the training sessions or the weightlifting sessions. And um, I would plan when my massage was, when my physio was, when my day off was first and fill in everything else after. Because often when you do it the other way, you often have no time left. You come to Sunday afternoon and you're trying to find a half an hour on the couch to have a rest, right? So I would that was one big thing. And then in that, we also planned our celebration. So we would plan... Um, now, whether that is, you know, a packet of hot chips or a piece of cake at the end of the week because we've had... You know, we watch exactly what we eat all the way through. We manage everything and you have to have your little vices. Um, or whether it's going to the movies or whether it's celebrating an Olympic victory, uh, we planned all of those in. So we, you know, dinner for the whole support crew after the every Olympics was always in the schedule. It wasn't like, oh, we'll go and have dinner, talk to you about it later. It was if we finish playing on a Friday... We knew that dinner was Saturday night, you know, and everyone knew what was going on. So the celebration, because it's like you don't finish the event until or the training or the competition until you've had the celebration. So 
that was really important for us and then we'd move on and know that we're starting again for the next cycle. So, yeah, I, I mean, Lane, <laughs> excuse my the pun, but rode that wave. It sounds like she rode that wave for six years without putting her head up. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so, um, and that can be exhausting and that can, that you know, that takes a lot to refill the emotional tank and it's really important that, as a professional athlete for 20 years, we would refill the tank um, every year. Every, oh, that's my daughter coming in to say hi. Ex- so, exclusive. You know, that's all right. I now have I now have an 18-month-old girl who's my next Olympic gold medal. She, she loves watching her. It's okay, Jordan. She loves my phone and she loves watching herself on the, the, screen, the screen. You said bye-bye. Now she's going to cry, but that's all right. We're... <laughs> there you go. That's exclusive. That can be cut that out is, or not. That exclusive. That will remain. Yeah, if I join it, oh, now she's upset. That's she doesn't get any um, airtime now. She's, she's, what have you done to her now? I know. Well, she does like my phone. She likes to look at pictures of herself, and I hope that's not a trait that's come from me. What's her name? Um, her name's Jordan, named oh, after Michael Jordan. Oh, so, really? You know, we. She was going to be. Jordan was going to be the name girl or boy, so we're very excited that um, that that she's a girl. And some people think she's a boy because I do dress her in Superman outfits. So it, it is definitely a lifetime strategy and one that I hope she picks up, the superhero. Guys, we hope you're enjoying the episode with Natalie Cook. If you haven't had a chance yet, please check out another five-time, five-time Olympian, in my last episode with Jackie Cooper. Here's a quick snippet of our interview. What I would say is that um, I, I would say that if you if you approach every day, whether it's in sport or school or business, personal, if you approach every single day with a champion attitude, you'll always get champion results. So that's an attitude of how you handle adversity, an attitude to how you handle teammates or the people in your workplace. That's... Um, how you handle your competition, your failures, all of that, if you can handle that with a champion attitude, just get up, brush the snow off and get it back out there, the results will come. It's about longevity and persistence and that ability to overcome adversity where so many people are willing to throw the towel in. Just have a champion attitude towards all of it and you'll always rise above. Guys, lots and lots of champion athletes from across different sports. So check out interviews with the likes of Mark Ocalupo, Robbie Madison, Merv Hughes, I've had Brad Haddon, uh, plenty more, Mark Hunt. So please go back and check out all the interviews that I've done so far. If you haven't yet, please subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher. Or if you've got an Android, you can pl- you can check out www.talkingwithtk.com. Now, let's get back to the show. Yeah, Michael Jordan, is that a, a hero of yours? Oh, absolutely. I think he's the greatest athlete of all time. And, um, you know, Roger Federer is up there too. But for me, you know, the way he could command the basketball court and produce, like, superhuman performance with the click of a finger, you know, you you just watch him sort of hover around and then all of a sudden he'd dart off to the left and off he'd go. And I saw him live a few times. Did and, you? Jeez. And uh, almost got to touch him. That's, you know, wow. kind of I've, I've seen LeBron live, but I'm guessing this was probably another level. Yeah, he had an aura about him that you don't see or I haven't seen in, in many other people. So 
The only other one I saw it in, which is not an athlete, was Princess Diana. When I when I saw her, she was a meter. No, uh, she was a meter away from me in a Qantas club in Sydney, coming like the Secret Service and the security were everywhere, and I randomly had my phone plugged in near the escalator, and I'm standing there on my phone, and down she came like this princess that she was, um, and she glowed as well. So they're the two in my life that I've seen, you know, be be bigger than life and and put out an aura and a glow because I've heard people say they can see auras and I'm like really like what do you what drugs are you on you know <laughs> and uh, but it wasn't until I saw the, the I saw something I'm like it's true so uh, yeah. We got off topic there, but yes. That's okay. It's quite interesting you bring up Di. She's the only person, because when I was a child and they announced that she had passed away, I was on a bus and it's the first time I've ever seen the entire bus pretty much cry when they announced it. Mm. So yeah, the, it was... the impact that she had on, on the world is quite quite remarkable. Yeah, amazing. Even in, I was in the United States at the time and even for a country that's not in the Commonwealth and doesn't have the connection that we do, um, you know, they felt it too, so... Yeah, uh, it was a, a sad end, an early end to a, a life that was making a big difference in the world. So her sons go on and do that now, and, and it's great to watch them grow, and um, here's to the British <laughs> <laughs> with everything else going on, you know, it's just amazing. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, one thing I want to talk to you about is creating a vision. Two things I want to talk to you about is when you were younger, eight years old, watching Lisa Curry win a gold medal, and then that spurred you to kind of want to do that as well. And then the second one I wanted to talk to you was something that didn't come off when you wanted to carry the flag at London. So can you talk to us a little bit about creating the mindset around visionary? Mm. Um, well, as an eight-year-old, you know, we... Ironically, I've done a lot of surveys. If I hang out with my Olympic friends or my athletic friends, I often say to them just informally, you know, when was it that you thought you wanted to become an Olympian or when did you decide that? Um, And it's between sort of the ages of seven and nine. So if anyone out there is listening and has have kids at that age and maybe have a ticket to the Commonwealth Games coming to the Gold Coast you know, very soon, and that's the age that the spark starts. So I was eight, and and I I'd seen Lisa Curry win the hundred metres freestyle, and I sort of pointed at the TV with passion and gusto and posture and said, "I want to do that." Right? No idea how I was swimming at the time and had no idea how that was going to happen. But it's that dream that we all have as kids um, that get squashed either by our own self-doubt or other people's um, judgments of us along the way that that I seem to, and my family, mum and dad especially, cultivated that dream. And, you know, I, I had this real big dream of going to Disneyland, maybe because they say it's the happiest place on earth and that's yeah. what I, So I, I had a map of Disneyland behind my bed all the way through high school and the transition from swimming to volleyball came because of a notice on the school notice board. That so here's the tip: read every notice you see on a notice board because it said volleyball trip to Canada and America. And so what I did was go America. That's where Disneyland is. I'm going to play volleyball. You know, like that's that was how the connection I made. So I had this big vision of. 
I had no idea what volleyball was. Yeah. Right, I, I raced upstairs to the PE department at my school at Corinda High and said, "What's volleyball?" And and then I said, "Are we going? Is is the trip including going to Disneyland?" And they said, "Yes." And so of course I was in 100. Um, and so that really started the the love of volleyball, the love of travelling, the love of adventure, and 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 having those experiences and. From there, I went on to, to the Olympics, of course, to win those medals and and all the way through to my fifth Olympics where, of course, you know, all the way through I've learnt, um, this is it, it's an interesting topic, most people are afraid to express their goals um, outwardly yeah. or vocally or tell other people because they're afraid to fail. So, that you know, what if it goes wrong? What if it doesn't work? And then my question to people is, well, if no one knows your goals, how are they going to help you? Yeah, exactly right. So I'm a big proponent of standing up and yelling your goals out of the top of your voice like, I'm an Olympic gold medalist and I want to win an Olympic gold medal. And then people can help. Well, how can I help? That sounds awesome. Yeah. If, they don't, if they don't know, they, don't, they, they can't even offer help. Now, of course you're going to get the naysayers. Of course you're going to get the people that say, you can't do that. That's impossible. What are you thinking? And then it's your job to um, to make the supporters and your own inside voice be louder than the naysayers. So that's a practice. That's a like um, an ongoing practice that mm. you've got to get good at with with inserting affirmations and and physical anchors and everything. That's a whole another podcast, right? <laughs> So, so I would. So, what I did in my fifth Olympic, two years out before the Sydney Olympics, we declared ourselves as Olympic gold medalists. This is what the success coach worked with us, and I was scared, like full of fear and doubt, to do that. But as soon as he announced me onto his stage with two years to go as the Sydney 2000 Olympic gold medalist, I I was so mad the first time. And all of a sudden, I had to stand differently. I had to act differently. I had to talk differently. I had to go to training differently. And I had to act like I was a gold medalist for two years and hold that space, right? Um, which is part, you know, I attribute our success to that because by the time September 25th, 2000 came around, we were already gold medalists, regardless yeah. of what was about to happen. So fast forward 12 years and... Um, I, using the same strategy, ask for what you want, I decided that I'd been to four Olympics previously with four um, captains of the team that were men. So I walked in behind four male athletes into the opening ceremony and I sort of said, you know, this was the start of the women's movement and empowering women in you know, sport and women's sport and all those things. So I declared that first of all, a woman should carry the flag, and second of all, you know what, this is my fifth Olympics, I've got two medals, and I would love to carry the flag on that note. Mm. Um, now, in in declaring that, the press picked that up, um, they wanted to do some, they would come to practice, and, and so hopefully you've got through this interview that I do a lot of, I have a lot of props and I create vision boards and I have my capes. And, and so what I would do when I walked around, as soon as I finished volleyball practice, I would march around the volleyball court with my Australian flag. Wow. 
right? That was my practice of living into being a flag bearer. So I didn't want to, when I got the flag, if I ever got the flag officially, I didn't want to drop it. I wanted to know how to hold it and wave it and all those things. I didn't want to, you know, you get one shot. So I was practicing for a year and, and the press would come along and film it and they all thought it was great. And then all of a sudden, and this is all it takes, is one newsreader or reporter decided that that was un-Australian to ask for it. Yeah. And so, so then the great debate started. Half the country thought it was a good idea and half the country didn't. And then Alan Jones said that if a woman, woman gets it, then that's because they've been pressured into it and it's a token female. And so the debate started. And at that point, I kind of withdrew. I let them get on with it. Um, but I declared I wanted it. I asked for it with with the passion and excitement and I walked, you know, Lauren Jackson was the one, to finish the story, Lauren Jackson was the one that officially got to carry the flag but I say that Lauren carried it for two hours in the stadium and I carried it for 365 days um, in the lead up to the Olympics because it, you've got to find a way to always feel good about yourself. Yeah. Right? So great I did, yeah. I, I, di- I didn't get what I wanted, but you're not always going to get what you want. Yeah. You know? Um, and, you know, my little girl Jordan just came in and wanted to look at my computer and see pictures of herself. You don't always get what you want. Exactly. Um, and it's what you do next. It's how you respond. It's how you rebound. It's how you, you've, you've got to be able to, and we use this at volleyball a lot, you've got to be able to heckle backwards and forwards and banter when you're losing as much as when you're winning, not just when you're winning. It's easy to high-five when you're winning, but can you high-five and can you enjoy the competition when you're losing? And that is one of my secrets to longevity, I guess. I hope everyone's got their pen and paper out because they'll have to rewind that one because I needed that today. I really did. That was that was quite – that was awesome. Thank you for sharing that, Natalie. Mm. And it's often not talked about, you know. People want to hear the good things, but – yeah, that was a tough time for me. I got a lot of bad press. In 20 years of my career, I didn't really get bad press. And, I, and at my fifth Olympics, when I wanted to go out on a high, and I had envisaged and imagined for a year that I would carry the flag and that would be the highlight of my career, I'd be the team captain. Like, that's what I had imagined. And then all of a sudden, it didn't happen and I caused, you know, a, a divide in the nation's sentiment. Um, and so, yeah, it was really not a nice feeling that I had to get over to then go and compete within two days, you know. So, so you've got your resilience piece and your ability to bounce back and your ability to get up when it's not going to plan and is really, really important in everyday life. Definitely. Now, we are running out of time, but I've got a few little personality questions just to finish. I think we're going to have to do part two because I'm not done with you on the mindset stuff at all. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Happy to come back. <laughs> okay, a couple of personality questions. What was your favourite venue outside of Sydney to compete in? Um, tick, 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 tick. Okay, so the, the best venue would have been London because just so pristine and, and prestigious in front of Buckingham Palace. Um, so let's do that. But I really loved Atlanta because it was my first Olympics, so of course everything was amazing at that one so but London five Olympics on they'd come a long way and it was just sensational in uh right underneath near Buckingham Palace 
Was London the only one that made like a man-made court in terms of not being on the beach? No, Atlanta was inland and uh, even Athens, whilst it was on the water, they, they built it because the stadium requires so much um, infrastructure. They often build it slightly off the beach. Uh, Beijing was in the middle of a park and London, yeah, so I think the only one, Rio. So Rio in 2016, which I didn't compete in, and Bondi were the only two that were built straight on the beach so far. Okay, you, you've kind of touched on it before, but what posters did you have on your childhood wall growing up? Well, this is interesting, right? And, and it's about expanding your mind. I obviously had Disneyland behind my yep, head. And then on my ceiling were all my posters because you lay there on your bed looking up, right? So yep. I, I plastered my ceiling with pictures. Now, at the time, the only volleyball magazine was an American volleyball magazine. So I would put all the pictures of my American idols that I would one day, unbeknownst to me, be playing against. Um, and, and then what I did for fun was as I beat them over time, I would take them off my walls. Interesting. Right? So, Interesting. So, yeah, so I got, I like watch them and I'd, I'd watch them play and I'd watch pictures of them and I'd see them on my wall when I'd wake up and they'd be the last thing I'd see when I go to bed and then it's like, I can beat you. Down comes the picture. <laughs> you might have just created something for everyone else. People probably, yeah. you know, when they play their uh, idols, pull them off. Absolutely. Okay, final question, Natalie. You're going to be hosting a private dinner party. you got five invites, only rules, no family or friends, but it can be anyone dead or alive. Who do you want to invite? Uh, Michael Jordan, um, Superman. Superman. But I guess he'd be Clark Kent, Clark really, Kent, and then really. he'd in and out, whatever he wants to. Uh, Superman, ideally, I'd have him in his Superman outfit. Um, Ellen DeGeneres. Yep, cool. Um, Nelson Mandela and Pink. Pink. That's a pretty good. Pink's my favourite, like, rock god ever, and I just love her posture and how she just tackles everything, you know, from Miss Dear Mr. President to, uh, to going to school. So, yeah, I think she's uh, pretty epic. And Nelson Mandela would have to balance the room, I would think. It'd be an interesting <laughs> dinner party. Yeah, it would be. <laughs> okay, everyone at home, why aren't you following Natalie? She's at www.nataliecook.com. She's active on her Twitter. She's at NatCookVB. Anything else you want to add there, Nat? No, probably more active on my Facebook, but uh, if, I, if I get to tweet, then, yeah, you know, you've got to pick one social media. Surely the social media world is just on fire. So, yeah, more Facebook, thank you, but Is that just days. under your name on Facebook? Yeah, normal name, normal name, no alias. <laughs> Nat, and I look forward to coming back and seeing you again next time. Nat, it's going to be part two, trust me, because I've got to get a part two with Jack. I promised her a part two, and I think I'm definitely going to do a part two because I've got another kind of 30 questions I need to ask you. <laughs> awesome, we'll do a series. <laughs> definitely. Thanks so much for your time, Nat, and uh, we'll speak soon. Pleasure. Have a great day. You too. Guys, that was the magnificent Natalie Cook. We hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did enjoy it, please share it out with your family and friends. Best way, please tag me in a post on social media. I'm at Tristan Cannell or at Tristan Cannell Fitness across my Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. If you haven't yet, please subscribe via iTunes, 
Stitcher, or if you've got an Android, log on to the website www.talkingwithtk.com. Now, another great episode coming up. Next on the show, we have Michael Klim. He'll be followed by Kaya Simon, and we've also got Paul Wade coming on the show. So I'll bump a few episodes ahead. Don't miss it. So please get in touch with me if you have any feedback. But in the meantime, I'm Tristan Cannell, and this was Talking with TK. (laughs) 